road that I saw of um, Scano, and it looks like an album cover with Back in Black. Right. <laughs> and I, I think it was something that he put together. You know. <laughs> That'd be right. <laughs> it's not even Back in Black. No, not yet. Uh, and in fact, um, Lee Sales pulled him up and mm. pulled the treasurer up on that and mm. said, uh, Treasurer, you're getting a bit ahead of yourself, aren't you? Uh, the, this year's budget is not in black. Mm. Oh, yes, but Lee, we're, that's where we're going. You know, the, the, mm. the indications are all in the, going in the right direction. Mm. You know? He absolutely refused to concede mm. that right now we're not in the black, mm. as they all do, of course. Mm. Righto, well, we'll kick off. Let's go. Welcome back, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. We're up to episode 196. I've dragged myself out of a hospital. I've got a knee brace on. I've got titanium screws. I've got drugs, and I'm, I'm here. Meanwhile, Scott has got a mild case of the flu, or I don't know what he's got, but he's tucked up at home in bed and unavailable for the podcast. So... The twelfth man steps up to the plate as one of the main players. Oh, Welcome yeah. aboard, Paul. Thank you, Trevor. And, and hello, everybody. And stepping in as I don't know a thirteenth man and a night watchman. What do you want to call yourself? Was the beer sponsor is here? Was the beer sponsor? Was the beer sponsor? Good on you, was. Yeah, let's stick with that. Okay, so uh, was is going to be uh, helping us. So, dear listener, we've had a budget that's come out last night, so we'll be talking about that, but we've got a few things to get through before we get into that. So, the boys, um, Ken and Malik was in town, and I couldn't make it, but you guys made it? And, we made it. And how was it? It was interesting. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was worth going. Ken and Malik, as you know, Trevor is one of those authors that I quite like, and I've read uh, you know, bits and pieces of at least three of his books. So I, he's a he's a scholar that I respect and like, and uh, certainly I look at his um, his online page quite regularly, as mm. I think you do. Mm. What did you think, Warren? Uh, I had a good night. It was mainly due to the company that I was sharing more than Ken and Malik, to yeah, be honest. We had but, good company. Uh, yeah, yeah I, uh, we were talking about it just before the show. It was lacking a bit of energy, I thought, mm. um, and that was potentially jet lag induced. Yes. But, uh, so yeah. don't worry, Kenan, we don't hold it against you. It's, mm. a, it's a long flight, but you're always welcome, I think. So did he say anything of interest that was memorable at all? He was... Reading uh, from there's notes. a couple of takeaway things, yeah. There's a couple and of in fact, if you, if you want to know what he said, it's pretty much in, uh, all in one essay that he wrote, which is on mm. his blog site. I mm. think it was basically reading from an essay that he wrote. Right, yeah. that's disappointing. A yeah. little bit. Mm. Okay. But he did, you know, there was a Q&A afterwards. Um, right, okay. So. Okay, all right. Well, let's uh, – because he's the one responsible for the line, which is – uh, instead of seeking equal rights despite our differences, people are now seeking special rights because of our differences. Yeah. Like it's a very well put line yes. that he mm. comes out with. So that's disappointing that he wasn't more inspiring. His mm. book on race is very good if you really want to understand the development of multiculturalism as government policy, mm. particularly from the perspective of uh, the United Kingdom. Yeah. He's written in quite a lot of detail about that. Mm. Okay. Mm. All right. Um, look, we've we've got a fair bit to go through, fortunately, tonight, and um, we received a message. So I better I better play uh, this message 
because it's a bit of a warning here for us before we get too far into this podcast. If you're ready for this, okay? Fasten my seat, but Fist, glove, 12th man, hard bottom here. Your last episode was only one hour long and not the one hour and 30 minutes I've become accustomed to. You owe me 33 cents, and if I don't get it, I'll be sending some rather large chaps around there to perform their own kind of knee surgery on you. <laughs> so there we go. That's we scary, isn't it? We can't oh, stop. I love Landon. Yeah. The ironic thing is before we started recording, my wife was talking to you and saying how much better the last episode was because it only went for 60 minutes. So you can't, you can't keep everybody happy, can you? We better do two hours tonight to yeah. keep Landon happy. Yeah, we'll see how we go. Um, look, I've been banging on lately about this book, which was The Goodness Paradox by Richard Wrangham, which is this whole idea of our evolution and how we became domesticated species and I just want to mention it in brief as a kind of a lead up to our whole discussion of tax and money that we're going to have tonight. So, um, so in it, uh, he makes the point that human beings are very low on reactive aggression. So that's that sort of lashing out if you've lost your temper. But we're still quite high on the scale of proactive aggression, which is a cold plan and deliberate killing, like in warfare. So compared to other animals. So, you know, take primates and monkeys, for example. They're always having little fights and stuff or big fights over, over slights. Like the, there's a lot of um, uh, anger and fighting within the groups amongst themselves. And we as human beings have learnt to not do that. We're incredibly cooperative. I mean, we can get onto trains and planes. You can pack people in like sardines and... For the most part, we won't attack each other. So that sort of reactive, um, hot aggression, we've learnt to control. But we still, um, we're able to do planned, proactive aggression where we can coldly calculate that we're going to kill somebody, which mm. is something that's kind of unique to our species to a large extent. So, uh, and what he's saying is that uh, tolerance is rare in wild animals, but it's common in domesticated animals. So if you look at um, cows and sheep and and dogs, their capacity to get along with people or other animals and not sort of rile up is a sign of domestication compared to the wilder version of that particular animal, a wolf compared to a dog, for example. And his theory is that human beings in our current format are basically a domesticated version of our ancestors. Mm. And how did we come to be that way is the question. Because when it's come to animals, it's clearly the case that we've instigated domestication. So we've taken these animals and we've bred from them for features that we find convenient for us. And often that means animals that don't kill each other all the time, that get on. So we'll, we'll um, by breeding, um, bring about a domestication of a species. But human beings have somehow become domesticated when there doesn't seem to be an obvious explanation for it. So in terms of features of domestication, there's some interesting little um, byproducts. So 
I mentioned about the foxes and how they wanted to tame these foxes and basically as they'd approached the litter, the, the fox that objected the, the least or last would be the one that they would breed from and they then went through various generations and things that would happen would be they became more dog-like. So they would start to have floppy ears. Mm. Their faces would be less pointy and would be flatter. Smaller heads. Smaller heads. Yep. Their teeth size would also reduce and they would also get um, uh, sort of white flecks in their fur that wasn't there before. <laughs> and these are common signs of domestication that you might see in horses or cattle or, you know, white sort mm. of socks on a horse, for example. Yeah. And... Um, these seem to be byproducts of uh, domestication, which aren't actually adaptive. There's no purpose, but they just happen to come about. And in this book, it basically talks about this stuff called um, neural crest cells and how they migrate through the body. And you have neural crest cells that appear um, in the embryonic stage, and it migrates through the body and then disappears. But it's responsible for the formation of a large number of organs and various things that go on in the body. And if that migration is slow or stalls, then certain features come about. So it's important for carrying what eventually becomes uh, melanin. So if it doesn't reach the extremities of your body then the melanin doesn't get carried as well, hence you end up with white spots at the feet and tails and tips of animals. <laughs> also responsible for the jaw, and so if it doesn't, not so much of this neural crest cell makes it to the jaw, you'll have a smaller jaw, same with the teeth, and it seems to be also responsible for other bits and pieces. So human beings, when you look at us compared to our ancestors, We've got a flatter face, smaller teeth, smaller jaws. Don't necessarily have white feet, but mm. um, a number of these sorts of features and also feminization of males. So in yeah. domesticated species, the males start to look more like the female of the species, yep. which would be the case that males of our generation mm. or our, our type are more feminized yeah. than our ancestors. So it's a really compelling case that we are domesticated if you compare us with other animals and he says well okay animals we've domesticated them intentionally has this ever occurred in the wild by chance and um remember i had that interview with eric mostert the south african guy and we were talking about bonobos yep. and chimpanzees yep so bonobos are look very very similar to chimpanzees but uh, what happened was they, um, their ancestors got separated by the Congo River and one group were on one side of the Congo River and one group was on the other side. Yep. And one group uh, uh, continued on to become chimpanzees and the other group continued on to be bonobos and there's a big difference between them. So the chimpanzees shared territory with apes and that meant that their food sources were not as abundant, even though they were relatively close to the bonobos across the river. What kind of apes? Because uh, gorillas. So because there was, they are both apes, of mm, course. Sorry, yeah. so I meant to say gorillas. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, so that meant that uh, they had to do a lot more walking, a lot more travelling to get food, and females having to carry um, babies would be left behind and would often have to be isolated and looking after themselves, um, and it was a struggle street. Whereas on the other side of the river, there were no gorillas for various reasons, and food was abundant, and the theory is that the females of the bonobos could, because they didn't have to travel, they could actually band together and when aggressive males tried to bully them, they could, they learned to fight back against aggressive males. So yeah. today when you look at bonobo colonies or groups or packs or whatever they're called, if the males try to get aggressive with the females in the way that a chimpanzee does, the female bonobos group together and fight back against the male. And so as a consequence, the males have become far less aggressive than a chimpanzee and they've... Um, the kind of metrosexual bonobos. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And they're all peace and love and they're forever having sex, the bonobos. Yeah, like it's wow. a much different... Do they community. smoke dope? Well, I, I don't know. Much, much different Wouldn't community. Wouldn't be surprised. Much, much different community. But... Um, and then there's physical features that are different again, so yeah. smaller head Small size, heads. teeth size, different things to do with their brains and things like that, which are examples of this. And so the question then is, well, did females of our human ancestors learn to fight back against males? And evidence is that that's not the case. But what the evidence is, or well, this guy's theory, is that um, basically... Uh, groups of humans and chimpanzees and apes, for that matter, would often go out and kill uh, isolated members of neighbouring tribes. Like they would go on a hunting raid where they would just head out to the edges of their territory and if they happened to find a lone stranger there, they'd tear it apart limb by mm. limb, literally. Mm. And so but that was always a case where they would completely outnumber the mm. opposition and there was no risk to them. And his theory is that when human beings learned enough language that they could whisper to each other and conspire, mm. then the hunting skills that they had learned to kill strange tribe members was used to kill alpha males. Yeah. So the whispering beta males um, basically got together and killed an alpha male. And then in the book, he looks at various examples of sort of primitive indigenous societies around the world. When you say primitive? Uh, well, examples from our Aboriginal brothers and sisters from... Careful. Yeah, from, you know, pre, from coloni early colonisation times. Um, North American Indians, Inuit, uh, Eskimo communities, and basically uh, relates a number of examples where in these communities they get together and kill people who are just causing problems. Mm. So there'd be some guy who's raping the other women or stealing wives or murdering people and the tribes would actually, by agreement, decide we've just got to get rid of this guy. Yep. Uh, mm. Bushmen of the Kalahari, the friendly sort of, even they would get together so and they kill would people. Sit, sit this guy mm. down and say, look, We've, well, we've, we've all talked about this and we'd really appreciate it if you would just sort of chill a bit and if you can't do that, just leave, right? Uh, uh, sometimes they would do that but really? the problem was if they just leave, the guy would follow. So if they were a nomadic tribe, 
this you know alpha male will just follow. So sometimes, without a jail system, the only thing left to do is to kill them. So exactly. they would catch them in a position where they um, were compromised, and like um, there was one guy who was a complete asshole alpha male, and um, they convinced him to climb a tree to get some stuff, and he put his weapons down, and so then they all gathered around the bottom of the tree, waiting for him to come back down with no weapons, and killed him, mm. and. Um, so there are a number of different examples where that actually happens in in primitive communities, uh, bumping off um, super aggressive alpha males who aren't um, towing the towing the line. So, so that was a really interesting theory about how that sort of aggression has then been bred out of humans, and really, if you wanted to flourish, uh, well then, of course, you've got a, a basically a cabal of males usually who can dominate for all sorts of aspects of community life. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, I find all that interesting because I reckon... <clears throat> I'm in, wondering how you're going to relate this back to the budget. Yeah, yeah, well... <laughs> it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, here what's we go. The, what's the book again? Uh, uh, the book is called... Um, the Goodness Paradox by Goodness Richard Wrangham. And you can, uh, yeah. So I reckon, though. We've got a band together and who have we got a? Billionaires. <laughs> <laughs> band together and Who's bump first off. on the list? <laughs> you just Jeff Bezos. <laughs> He's number one. We've lost the ability to say, hang on a minute. Beta, beta males around the world, let's get together and start <laughs> Knocking off some alpha males in a, uh, not in the sense of actually killing them, no. but in the sense of taking control of our communities and saying, you know what, that's just not on. Like, too much, too much. You don't get to have all that. It's not good for us. Like, so what I'm saying is that for hundreds of thousands of years, groups of whispering beta males have got together and said, enough is enough yeah. with this joker and we're going to put a stop to this. And do you hear that, I'm, Jeff? We're, I'm, we're whispering I'm, between ourselves now. I'm a conspiring whispering beta male. I'm saying to the rest of you guys, hey, see that guy over there after the tree? He's got too much stuff. It's time. Yeah. It's time we, we too catch much the power. Mm. That's where I'm heading for. Yeah. yeah. Also, the other part of that is that individual freedom is a relatively recent invention. Yes. And contrary to our evolutionary development, because really we've been designed to comply with the group norms. Yes. And that's why we feel incredible sense of embarrassment and shame because if we fall out of favour mm. with the group norms, then, yeah, we can easily be bumped off. and Or just shunned and the, to the point yeah. where you become an outcast, a pariah, mm. and you probably die of mm. starvation. Mm. So the book gives lots of information as well about how often this actually happens in communities and it happens a lot. So, yeah. There's some good water cooler conversation mm. material there, listeners. Yeah. Mm. Look, can I, can I just say that um, for me, uh, when I went to university, I, d I did a sort of a general social science uh, degree course specialising in Asia. But uh, we had in the first year foundational studies and the one that really uh, lit up my imagination was anthropology mm. because just a, a basic so understanding yeah, of it. anthropology opens so many windows to, mm. to various aspects of human existence and mm. human history, you know. 
Mm. And, and in the book, he sort of explains that we've got these inherent biases as a result of this evolutionary history, which doesn't mean that we are compelled to obey those biases, but we need to be aware that they're Under, there. Yes, and that so, awareness is so important. And that mm. these things are naturally in us and to sort of yeah. recognise it. And we can choose to take different paths, but they're acting on us and acting on other people yeah. all the time. Yeah. Mm. And it's good to be aware and, you know, to mm. be self-aware in that sense. Yeah. As a species. Yeah. So Jeff Bezos needs to be aware that this whispering guy over near the banana tree <laughs> pointing yeah. at him is yeah. what, what I'm up to here. Jeff, if you're listening, I'm, I'm not in on this, okay? I'm not conspiring. Okay. Yeah, well, why not? <laughs> well, why not, Was Because I'm scared. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Jeff has his address from his Amazon account. The thing about these guys yes. is if there's enough beta males, you can conspire together and you're not going to be hurt. Oh, mm. But that. Jeff's really rich and he can probably – pay more beta males to protect him than we can find to... Well, well that's right. This is the interesting thing. I haven't thought this through, Yeah. That, this is... Well, our society is becoming such that um, guys who previously were just psychopathic nutcases who the tribe would kill off yeah. can actually flourish. Yeah. So a guy like Alex Jones of Infowars, mm. when he was in high school... His classmates beat him up to within an inch of his life because he was such an asshole. Oh, really? Yeah. An and asshole to, in what sense? He was a complete nutter was he? and a bastard and he was a thug. And really? Yeah. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> yes. And they beat him within an inch of his life and the family yeah. had to leave town. But, you know, a few years later and he's, he's making a fortune conducting his media business and mm. still clearly psychopathic. Name, I'll, I'll mm. admit. To not the, knowing much about he's him. He's the one who claims that Sandy Hook was... Uh, uh, was a conspiracy. Exactly. Yeah. All these things are conspiracies and all, you know, it's a terrible, terrible man. But yeah. our society now, whereas before you were part of a tribe and you had to comply with tribal norms, mm. it's very easy now for people to be uh, locked up in your own mm. basement or apartment, entertaining yourself without the need of a tribe. Yep. That's um, me. <laughs> yeah. But also we're becoming a lot more forgiving as a society. And, I, you mm-hmm. know, we, we talk about religion on this program mm-hmm. a lot. I mean, that's something that they promote, isn't it, is forgiveness. Um, Some religions do, no, not all no, of them. Religions are very tribal as well. Like mm-hmm. they are all about well, – when you say forgiveness, what do you mean? Well, I, you know, you hear – Preachers mm. preaching about the the virtues of forgiveness, turn the other cheek, yeah, sort of thing. Um, and I, I think the mm. the people that preach forgiveness are those who realise that they're going to need it <laughs> at some point. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's self serving in a way, but they they sell it on the basis of you're getting to heaven. Mm. So be forgiving of this person yeah. because. Mm. You'll get into heaven. As, it's it's as less reason. about the terrestrial world, mm. isn't it, and more about the yeah. celestial world. Tr- true altruism doesn't exist in religions. They invariably are pro- promoting an ideology on the basis of a selfish uh, end game, so that you will benefit usually through ascension to heaven and and mm. all that sort of stuff, or or a better afterlife, or in your next life, better karma. So. It's often quite a selfish motivation behind 
uh, religious ideology. But yeah, okay, a little bit of forgiveness in there. Yeah. Mm. Um, See the the uh, and you'd be able to comment on this twelfth man the the Japanese sort of culture there, sort of less forgiving, wouldn't you think? Like, there's that that whole losing face. Do you know? I've never thought about that particular aspect of Japanese culture, but they are they're extremely group minded. Mm. Um, you know, like we we think of the the Western civilization as something that cultivated individuality and self-sufficiency the japanese and the chinese and generally those east asians were very much communally oriented Mm. Mm. Um, and it's interesting isn't it because quite similar in 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 that respect both the chinese and the japanese and yet uh they've adapted they've both adapted to very different political systems you know the japanese have adapted to the sort of western parliamentary democracy and it seems to suit them just fine. They're doing very well with it. And yet the Chinese have got this single-party um, dictatorship and for the most part, well, in, in the last two or three decades, they're doing okay, mm. at least economically, mm. but not in terms of freedom. But there, was a, there was a time in our history when we used to banish people from the tribe and that was, you know, that was the end of them, do, wasn't it? You do know, you know, you kicked out of the tribe. Yeah. Um, that was, you couldn't survive without the tribe, whereas now you can survive as an individual um, a lot more easily. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I see that our culture is all is very much about forgiveness. I mean, we, we put so much effort into reforming um, criminals, you know, and, and, and trying to, you know, make them a better person and get them back out into society and, and get, yeah. get them being productive again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'd question whether that's a good strategy, to be honest. Do you know, when you were talking about uh, the violent um – the violence in in general about killing off alpha males. Do you know what I was thinking of? When I lived in Japan, I saw uh, a beautiful old movie. In fact, there were two versions. One version was made in the 1960s and then there was another version made in the 1980s. And it was about life in a traditional Japanese village, like pre-modern Japanese village, in the north of the country where they have severe winters. So they only have a growing season for like half to three quarters of the year. So through the coldest part of the winter, there's absolutely no food growing whatsoever. So they're just living on stored food. Mm. And because existence was pretty marginal anyway, Mm. each family would have their own store of food, you know, whether Mm. it was some kind of potato or rice or whatever it was that they could accumulate during the growing season Mm. and in fact life was so hard that they had a a a village rule only the eldest son of each family was allowed to marry and procreate and the other sons of the family would become the more or less the servants or the slaves of the family girls of course would marry out to to another family you know Mm -hmm. so they were a bit of a liability anyway but look the the climax of the movie is a really uh, quite grueling and moving scene where they discover, people in the village discover that one specific family has been cheating the system. In other words, oh. they've been stealing food right. from other people's little plots of land mm. and accumulating it and hiding it and secreting it under the floor of their house. So, in fact, 
they've been cheating. You know, they're cheating on everybody. Yep. By and they've been caught. And accumulating. So during the winter when everybody else is struggling to have enough to eat, these people are eating well. So the whole village gets together and they conspire and they form a plan and one night they surround this family's house, they burst in, they bundle everybody into, you know, tie them up or put them in a, a, a sack or a net or whatever. They drag them all out to the outskirts of the village where a hole has been pre-dug, mm. a deep hole. Mm. They throw them all in and just shovel it, shovel the hole back in again and that's the end of it. Mm. That's exactly the story I've been telling. That's Is the one. It's it's yeah. exactly the same. And thing. that was yeah. commu- you know, Whereas, community justice. You know, our it? culture now is you know you see children who are misbehaving. They said you know say you're sorry, mm. and as soon as you say you're sorry, it's like it's all forgiving, and you know get back on with whatever you're doing. You, you yeah. know, you don't even have to be sorry. You just yeah. have to say you're sorry. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm and you're forgiven. I couldn't <laughs> say for sure that that movie was an accurate reflection of what actually happened in traditional Japan. Yeah. I'm not at all sure that that's true or whether the director was using a bit of artistic license. Mm. But it was a, I, I thought it was a pretty good reflection of just the harsh reality of, of living in a community in the pre-modern time when there were no police or courts, you know, to mm. to settle your differences in. So mm. people And it sounds brutal, doesn't it? But, it's brutal. Um, you know, but it was effective. Long mm. term it was probably effective yeah, for that. You because know. you know, you only had to No do one it did once, that again next season. Once they? every, you know, ten or twenty years. <laughs> mm. And Nothing. the story of it would carry on through time and serve as a um, a caution to everybody else. Mm. Nothing changes behaviours more than consequences. Mm. And that's something that humans can do that other animals could not do. Yes. So this is our a, great gift is a, we can accumulate knowledge and transmit it through time. And we can conspire amongst ourselves. Across space. Mm. Yeah. Whereas a band of chimpanzees, if one family is stealing food, there's nothing the others can do about it. Mm. So mm. that's how we've become a different species. Yeah. So anyway, um, back to billionaires and mm. – um, and tying them up and throwing them in a, in a in cold hole. hole in northern. all of them, yeah. <laughs> all the billionaires. So I've, there's a guy, um, Umar Haq, who writes in Medium, I think it is that I get this from, and he wrote some stuff, and I'll I'll quote some of it. So he says, and I keep thinking of Jeff Bezos when he's writing his stuff. So it's you know, does society need billionaires, or do billionaires need societies? Which one is more true? Pretty obvious, isn't it? He says, The justification for billionaires, which is a product of American thinking and then spread around the globe, goes something like this. Without billionaires, we won't have progress, wealth, riches, security or fortune. In short, billionaires equal prosperity. It's trickle-down economics in a slightly cleverer disguise. So he says, Now let's look at reality. Do you see any of these grandiose, amazing, mythical benefits of billionaires having actually materialised in America? I don't. It's self-evident to see that the rise of billionaires didn't result in prosperity, wealth, riches, fortune. The average American is broke. He lives paycheck to paycheck. He's crushed by debt he can never repay. He lives a life of psychoeconomic trauma. I like that. Something like a neo-peasant constantly worrying if his overlord will dispossess him just because the harvest, which is beyond his power to control, failed. 
It's a terrible plight. Billionaires didn't make any of that go away. In fact, they seem to make it happen. European societies have far fewer billionaires, but they have much, much greater progress along every single dimension you can imagine, and then some. They have functioning healthcare, retirement, education, media, and so forth. And people have higher income and savings too. Billionaires don't equal progress. In fact, the precise opposite is true. Preventing millionaires from becoming billionaires results in progress. <laughs> that is why Europe is at a higher level of development than America today. It's a social democracy, whereas America is still an industrial capitalist economy, just a decayed, decrepit one now. Anybody want to argue against any of that? <laughs> I'd like to see some numbers. Right. But you've seen some the, evidence. You've seen the statistics on paycheck to paycheck living in America. We've done them on this podcast before. Yeah. Where I'll, something like I did some of, research. Something like it's half of Americans me. couldn't cope with a five hundred dollar yeah. emergency. Even public yeah. servants. Remember when the um, federal government shut down and yes. they were interviewing you know employees of these government institutions who were yes. saying how am I going to pay my rent, you know? Yep. Um, mm. Yep. What's the poverty rate in America, 2017? I don't know. 13.4%, which is... God, that's high, isn't it? What, what, what's that? Only, but how do you measure poverty? It's only about 1% more than Australia, according to my research. So, you know, we can talk about, geez, you know, what the, about the, the poorer hap- class in America are doing it really tough. But, 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 but hang on a minute. In comparison to Australia, it's a... It's on par, and if you go back to the mid nineteen fifties, I can't believe the USA the, poverty rate was twenty five percent. I think there are some differences though, and the stark difference for Australian poor people is they can still front up at a hospital and they'll be admitted. Mm. Mm. Oh, we all agree that American medical system's broken. Mm. Um, no, no counter argument from me. Mm. <laughs> well, it, it's. I mean, it's not. S- I mean, the system is broken, you're right. I mean, they have the best medical care in the world, mm. but it's only available uh, to a certain part of society, isn't it? I mm. mean, uh, I was, it I may was, be a majority, but it's not 100%. I, I, I was having this discussion to some extent with one of my homestay boys and saying how we should be just taking money off these billionaires. And he said, well, they've earned it. Like, they've earned their money, so it's not fair to take it off them. And... Part of that argument is dealt with in the second part of this article where he said um, uh, the American version or the capitalist version or the myth of prosperity goes like this, I will only do something to benefit you if you pay me to do it. The more I'm paid, the more whatever I've done must have benefited everyone. Mm. But Jonas Salk gave away the polio vaccine. Do you know what he had to say about that? He said, can you patent the sun? The inventors of insulin, too, intended their discovery to be made free. So Tim Berners-Lee didn't patent the World Wide Web and make a killing. He made it public. Einstein and Newton didn't charge anyone billions for discovering gravity and relativity, which went on to be the linchpins of two industrial revolutions. So a lot of these billionaires are relying on the civilization created by our ancestors and what they're doing is they're taking other people's inventions and corralling it into some sort of monopoly that they can and create. It, yeah. Yep. So And to provide uh, some balance there, you've got mm-hmm. Elon Musk 
Yes. Who's creating electric vehicles and doing a lot for the environment. He's a billionaire. He um, he's hasn't got any patents on any of his technology or he's made it all available. Well, look, he initially despite. made his money from PayPal. Yeah. Right. He made a few million. You know, you know from PayPal. what is PayPal? It's just it's just a means of payment on the internet. It, mm. It's not groundbreaking invention. It's just it's one of those things where if you get in first and you become the dominant player, then you win the game. But mm. it's not like it's not nobody would ever research. have invented a PayPal system. It was always going to happen. Mm. It's just a case of. If you mm. get in first and you get to dominate the entire market, mm. then there's no point for a competitor. There's no option for a competitor to come in. It's not. Mm. He hasn't. He hasn't That's done, what got him his start. Yes, I think is is yes PayPal. But, but you know, he's also then launching rockets, and I'm sure he's relying on Einstein's theories, mm. which Einstein gave away, mm. and he's then using that. So, and he's what, giving away his the you know the. The technology that he's developing, he's he's not sure, and he could quite and, easily. And I'm not so saying I'm, I'm just trying to provide a bit of balance to I, the conversation. Know, but it. I'm not saying let's take everything off him. Mm. But, but people have to recognise that billionaires are standing on the shoulders of of what's happened beforehand. Yes. An yes. enormous amount of technology and civilization, much of it created for free. Yes. Pharmaceutical companies are. You know, creating drugs, the fundamental science behind which was developed for free in in many you know government organisations, universities. Yes, yes. But so then Newton the, was standing on the shoulders of people exactly. As well, you know, and if Newton was a multi-billionaire, I'd I'd say you know no. <laughs> so or at least share some of it. Yeah. So when a good bit of it. Yeah, and and particularly someone like Jeff Bezos. I mean, ultimately. Uh, it's all about size. He hasn't invented mm. anything. Mm. He's just scaled up an internet shop mm. and he's really created nothing of value for the world mm. in that sense except knocked out the competition. Yeah. So these guys, when, when people say, well, they've earned it, um, I'll just quote a bit from uh, this article. It says, um, what are billionaires really doing? Well, they are essentially finding ways to privatise portions of those wonderful gifts, which are really our birthright. Billionaires are just finding ways to hoard progress. Billionaires aren't creating prosperity. In fact, they're sitting atop a series of public goods, vaccines, antibiotics, the World Wide Web, roads, hospitals, electricity, the alphabet, and simply finding ways to privatise their benefits and often socialise the losses accrued along the way. So when an internet billionaire carves off a chunk of the World Wide Web, that's privatising a public good. When a pharma company charges a huge fortune for some new drug, that's privatising many public goods, which the discovery of that drug rested upon. So they're not creating prosperity. They're Usually these guys are some sort of monopolist um, is, is how they're creating their wealth. So mm. um, um, I've, I've got a problem with... Uh, generalizing billionaires you know we we've stereotypical think about a, a billionaire as a um a monty burns type of character an evil mm. you know greedy um dislikable person but mm. 
you know, you, you have your Warren Buffetts and your, your Bill Gateses and, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of billionaires out do, they're doing a lot of good with their money as well. So we can't group them all together. You know, we, it's not that many. So when someone like uh, Dick Smith was trying to promote philanthropy amongst Australian wealthy, mm. he was just ashamed of the lack of response when he was mm. trying to get dollars out of people. Mm-hmm. for sort of the philanthropic things that the Gates Foundation does. Like mm-hmm. these guys were not prepared to give up money. And sure, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett and some others, but mm. they're a very arguably a very minor proportion. They're an elite club <laughs> yeah. among yeah. billionaires. Yeah. So um, – I don't know. I'd like to see the, I'd like to see the, the numbers yes. behind that. Okay. Well, we'll try and find some yeah, the, the, uh, at some point. The, the guy who created IKEA – Yes. I was reading about him today. Yeah, from uh, Sweden. Yeah, he yeah. gave away half of his forty-three billion dollar fortune in his in his will. And yeah, you know. how much taxes IKEA paid in Australia? <laughs> I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> God, let's just see. I think. I think. Mm. Let me bring up IKEA. Yeah. Well, that's think, a different topic, isn't it? Well, really? you see, but it's, but, related, but it's not it? up to these people to say, "Oh, you know, if if you." If you have rearranged your affairs in such a way that you've paid no tax around the planet mm. and then you've said, oh, but I'm going to give my money away the way I feel like it, that's, you don't get to decide that. Like, um, well, you know, the way I feel about that is that, mm. you know, these billionaires typically spend their money better than what a politician would. I mean, you give $5 billion to Donald Trump, he's going to build a wall between America and uh, Mexico, you know. You give uh, extra money to ScoMo, he's going to give more to uh, Catholic education. Um, he's going to buy nuclear submarines with it and then can what, what do they do? Convert them to diesel. Um, you know, politicians don't spend money wisely, whereas, you know, your, your Bill do. Gates Foundation I'm, I'm, but they, is, is putting vaccines out there but and they, they, they trying may to rid the world of, of malaria. And, yeah, sorry to talk over yeah. the top of you, was it? Politicians do probably, arguably, waste a lot of money mm-hmm. and they certainly do engage in pork barrelling, but they're still obliged to spend money on things the mm. community needs mm. and mm. they do. Mm. They I may think not Kerry spend Packer it summed it up wisely. nicely. I mean, he he was quite prepared to pay more tax, but he wasn't happy with how it was being spent, which well, is fair enough. He's got a very Kerry very Packer. valid argument too. Oh, I, I think. Know. Well, this is the, he did some damage to our community, Kerry Packer, with that statement because he basically said to everybody, "Pay as little tax as you can, mm. because mm. these guys piss it up against the yeah. wall, and it's better off in your own pocket." Mm. So he fueled cynicism about liberal democracy, which is arguably the best political system humans have invented so far. And he was just rubbishing it by saying, yeah, don't pay any tax because, you know, all the guys elected in the parliament are fools anyway. So, Was he saying don't pay tax? He was was saying I choose not to pay tax. He wasn't encouraging others. He said if you don't arrange your affairs in such a way as to minimise the tax that you pay, you're a fool. Mm. In other words, said. people who pay willingly pay their full measure of tax yep. are mm. fools, mm. which is not a very good message for the general community, is it? Incidentally, um, out of the total sales for IKEA of $1.2 billion, 
their taxable income was $16 million, which was 1.33% of their sales. So they were saying that if their prices were 1.4% lower, they would not have made any money in Australia. How so is the system so broken that this can happen? I just don't un- – I just can't. Because politicians set up the tax system to serve the people with most to gain from it. it. Because they haven't got the balls to say to Amazon, don't come into this country until mm. you start paying proper tax. I don't care about your intercompany relationships where you're going mm. to be paying a licence fee to your Singaporean entity. It's not going to happen. Like, mm. piss off, you're not coming in. Like, they yeah. don't have the balls to say it. Mm. So that's part of what I want to get to about this budget is that this is all just – this budget is just tinkering around the edges of a few bits and pieces. There's nothing, mm. there's nothing groundbreaking in this budget. It's just little massaging of figures here and there. But really big ideas, like there's no Elizabeth Warren wealth tax idea in this budget. You're aware of the, Doesn't Elizabeth, she live mm, in another country? She does. But don't we share ideas? And, of course we do. And so the, um, the Australian handily came out with... Uh, the list of the 250th richest um What number families. were you, Fist? Didn't make the list. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. You Better quit lawyering too soon. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> but dear listener, I've got the list on the website. You can see a link there in the, in the menu bar that says an Elizabeth Warren wealth tax in Australia. And... Uh, you know, the sort of money uh, Anthony Pratt and family came out on top. And there's so many zeros in this, it's hard to actually add them up. But I think it's $13 billion is the wealth. And Gina Reinhart was 13 So, So Anthony, can you run through her uh, yeah, yeah. method? So her, it's just taxing billionaires? Is that the threshold? Well, above it's, a billion? it's based on wealth not on income. Yes. Okay? Yeah. And the idea is that somebody like Jeff Bezos, because we're all whispering around the banana tree here, pointing at him. Okay. It's not me, Jeff. (laughs) I'm not in on this. So uh, her plan is that uh, you look at the wealth of these uh, households, so a husband and wife combination, for example, their accumulated assets of what they own. And uh, each year uh, on assets worth more than $50 million, so you, fifty million is the threshold. Yeah. Yep. So you can earn up to forty nine point nine. You can have forty nine point nine million in the bank, and you will not be touched by this mm. rule. Okay, that's this a is Elizabeth Warren. So it's yeah. not the billionaires. Uh, it's it's much less than that. It, it is. It's fifty yeah, million. Okay. Uh, above fifty million, you pay two percent tax, mm. and on on your wealth, assets? on your wealth, on your assets. Okay. Yeah. And above a billion, you pay three percent. Hmm. Okay, and so running through the figures from the Australians' wealthiest two fifty, top two fifty, I reckon that means that we would collect eight point three four billion every year. Why don't we do that? How many submarines would that buy? That Not very you, many. It gets, <laughs> gets you about a third of a submarine. I, that's that's really peanuts in terms of a, a national budget, even for a, a smallish country like Australia. Yeah. If you want to compare it to it's things. Not a lot of money. Um, customs duty gets us $16 billion. Fuel excise gets us $19 billion. Um, superannuation taxes brings in $10 billion. So wow. it's not a huge amount it's in not. the scheme mm. of things. So, 
Um, Hardly worth worrying about, really. But isn't it? Uh, the federal education budget is thirty-four billion, so it would pay for a um, you know, quarter of education budget. So they could it's, build some. It's, it's, if it's, I found myself in that situation where I was nudging close to the fifty million mark, yep, I'd probably just give it away. Great, mm. good, and and a lot of. A lot of these guys. No, they wouldn't. They'd go would and do the same. They'd, they'd leave the country and go overseas. Yeah. Oh, right. Is what they would because do. that's because that's what happened in the UK. The reality is, if okay. if if you could have fifty billion, you could probably just as easily have sixty billion, eighty billion, a hundred billion, if you know what you're doing with yep. money. Yep. So then these guys are not going to stop at fifty million, million, are they? They're not the type two. No. Mm. So it's. Um, it yeah. seems to be a bit of a drug money, doesn't but, it? You know, itself? what it would mean is that from Clive Palmer, we collect $124,300,000 every year. They put that Palmer. into a trust, so, they? Well, obviously, you have to structure the tax to look at uh, effective control mm-hmm. of trusts and things You'd like that. You'd let your wealth accumulate in a trust given that the trust was going to be something that you would have... But given away on your death anyway. Well, you know I, mean? Um, I mean, on your death, you've got no choice. It's going somehow, isn't it? Mm. So, um, I mean, no so doubt. The, 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 it probably wouldn't actually, you, w- you wouldn't realise the gains. What was that figure? Eight billion? Eight billion yeah, per atom. You probably wouldn't realise that because they'd. It's hard to find know. ways of getting away, you know. See, someone like Gina Reinhardt, someone like Gina Reinhardt and Clive Palmer, um, you know, it's fairly obvious what their wealth is in terms of their mining assets. So they can't mm, hide them. Uh, yeah. So it's not. It, it's in some cases it might not be that easy to sort of hide it. So anyway, um, I'm yeah. for it. I, I like that idea. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Good. It's much better, much more effective than taxing income. Yes. I think. Because someone like taxing Jeff Bezos wealth. has no income. Mm. He yeah. wouldn't pay anything. Mm. But, um, and and really, two or three percent when you're that wealthy, you're not going to miss it, really, are you? It's not going to affect your happiness it's that not. much, is it? No. Yeah. So, just finishing off with this article from Umar Haq, who says that there are essentially three positions that a thinking person at this juncture in human history should take when it comes to billionaires. One, a society shouldn't have billionaires, period. Or two, a society shouldn't have billionaires while a single child or adult still lives in poverty. Or three, a society shouldn't have billionaires until everyone has something like a decent middle-class life. So, um, you know, we mentioned just the other day where uh, the top 1% owns 50% 50% of the world's wealth, and by 2030, they're going to have 65%. Mm. I mean, it's so dangerous, the power that these people have, mm. uh, let alone let alone the good that can be done with, with that sort of wealth. So I did some research this afternoon. I've got mm. some numbers. Oh, Drew. Can I, can I share those with the, with the dear listener? Go ahead. Australia, billionaires. Mm. How many? I'll tell you. Hang on. Well, oh, uh, you can't cheat. You're you're googling uh, it. Uh, well, it's twelve uh, man. Hang on. Australia. How many billionaires? How many billionaires? I would uh, hazard a guess about twenty. It's about twenty-seven. There you go. Uh, it probably changes well on a daily basis. If we're talking about individuals, maybe it's a bit because on this top two hundred and fifty, uh, it's somehow got to. 
I'm uh, quoting Wikipedia here. I'll just clarify okay. that. So, so the Australian top 50. And I think it's 2017 numbers as well. The Australian top 250 said there's 95 uh, families with a billion yeah, dollars. Right. Okay. Yeah. So 27 US. So there's 25 million in Australia. So there's 1.1 billionaires per million. Right. USA, 680 billionaires for 327 million population. So they've got a ratio of 2.1. We've got twice as many. Mm -hmm. Finland. Finland. Finland, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's our favourite country. (laughs) Five billionaires. Five billionaires. For a population of 5.5 million people, 0.9. Right, yep. So if they had a sixth, they would have more billionaires per million than Australia. Right. Yep. So there you go. China, 338 billionaires. Finland, Finland, Finland. <laughs> a bit slow on that one. It took me a while. <laughs> uh, for 1.386 billion people. So they're 0.2 billionaires Who was per that? million China. Right. Yep. Yeah. And there was one report of there being a new Billionaire in China every two days mm. really? is the current rate of every two days. Every two days. Mm. There you go. Mm. Let's let's Some interesting numbers. It's it's an obscene amount of money that nobody needs, mm. and they don't actually deserve because they're relying on the civilization that has basically created a situation that that sort of wealth can be created. Mm. So. Um, so to answer the question or mm. to answer the statement that they earned it, mm. we have a resounding, no, they didn't. No. Not completely anyway. Mm. 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 I think you're in alignment with Pope Francis here on this. Uh, he, he, he is. He says it's the root of social evil. There you go. You agree with Pope Francis? I guess I do. I think I, <laughs> I, I, think I read something once where he was against trickle-down economics. Yeah. So. The Pope's right on some things. <laughs> so anyway, um, I'm going to talk about Davos in uh, in relation to this. So, did you guys do you guys know what Davos is? Mm-hmm. Mm. What's it stand for? I don't even know what it stands for. It's a place. It's a place it? in Switzerland. Switzerland. It's yeah. a town. Ah, is it? Mm. Mm. I thought I thought the Davos meeting actually stood for something. No, it's oh. the World Economic Forum. Right. Okay. And it's held it was just at held at Davos. I think they ah, just, yeah, right. Refer to it as Davos. They probably got some good hotels. Right. Yeah. So this year's was has become infamous because of a Dutch historian, Rutger Bregman, and uh, he's a YouTube sensation because of what he had to say at uh, Davos. So I've got a bit of a clip of what. Of what he had to say. Here it is. This is my first time at Davos, and uh, and I find it quite a bewildering experience, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, fifteen hundred private jets have flown in here to hear Sir David Attenborough speak about you know how we're wrecking the planet, and uh, I mean I hear people talk in the language of participation and justice and equality and transparency, but then I mean almost no one raises the real issue of tax avoidance, right, and of the rich just not paying their fair share. I mean, it feels like I'm at a firefighters fighters conference and no one's allowed to speak about water. I mean, this is not rocket science. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can talk for a very long time about all these stupid <laughs> philanthropy schemes. We can invite Bono once more, but come on, it's we got to be talking about taxes. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Taxes, taxes, taxes. All the rest is bullshit, in, in my opinion. 
stupid philanthropy schemes was. <laughs> Is that how you referred to it? I think I'm. I think they do a lot of good work. Mm, the okay. philanthropists. Yep. Uh, at that same meeting, there was um, a guy called Ken Goldman, who was the former CEO of of Yahoo, who said, "Look, stop talking about all these taxes. You know what we really, uh, uh, what really." People need is just a decent is just a job, and then people will be happy. Stop talking about taxes. Let's talk about job creation. So I'll just play a bit of this clip. I actually came because I do believe we have an issue here, but I have to say honestly, this is a very one-sided panel. You know, frankly, what people really want, what really want, is a dignity of a job. I like for the panel to talk about beyond taxes, which every one of you have talked about. The only thing you've talked about in this whole panel on inequality. What can we really do? to solve and help solve inequality over time beyond taxes. Let me tell you something. We're talking about jobs, but the quality of those jobs with poultry workers in the richest country in the world, the United States. Dolores, one woman we work with there, told us that she and her co-workers have to wear diapers to work because they are not allowed toilet breaks. This is in the richest country in the world. So don't tell me about low levels of unemployment, you are counting the wrong things. You're not counting dignity of people, you're counting exploited people. I, I, wanna... I thought that was good. I think one of the things to come out with this budget is how in recent years they've always been uh, giving a high estimate of wage growth that's going to be coming in the next 12 months, 24 months, 36 yeah. months. And it's never met it, so wages have haven't met these generous sort of targets that they I, have these budgeted amounts. I read this afternoon that we're in the longest period of low wage growth since the Second World War. Mm. That would sound right. That's, Do you know where we stand on minimum wage in the world? It would be one of the highest. We're the highest. We're up yeah. there, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. But apparently, but our cost of living. Is also is one also highest. one of the highest, like the hamburger index, mm. you know, yeah. the McDonald's index. Like the cost of living here is also incredibly high. Mm. Our, yeah. our housing costs are unbelievably high. The the research I did this afternoon took that into account. Like it, it mm. gave a US dollar figure, but then it gave a PPP figure, which is mm. like a proportional to the cost of living. And I think we come in about number three on that. Right. Yeah. So, and, and again, I'm just providing yeah, some balance. Yeah, yeah. And what know, I'm saying we, is, we haven't seen much growth, but we're still up there and, and in the, the top three of the highest yeah. in, in terms of minimum wage. And Finland doesn't have a minimum wage. Um, yeah. It's something that's just negotiated between the employees and the the unions. And, and the example, you know, I keep saying is. In the experiment is being run in the sense of the USA and the Scandinavian countries. And so her reference was to poultry workers in the USA having to wear diapers because they can't take a break to go to the toilet. And mm. Amazon workers report the same thing where they have mm. to wear diapers or have um, soft drink bottles with them that they can pee into because they can't take the time off to have a break in 
you know, one of it the sounds incredible, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, but that's what imagining can, people doing that. That's what can happen if you allow unfettered capitalism to reign free. Like mm. if you don't actually set some bench yeah. limits, then they will be. Exp- I mean, the richest man in the world is exploiting people so much that they have to wear diapers mm. in his factory. Mm. So, and that guy, you have to force these people to pay money. They won't do it voluntarily. That guy you mentioned from Yahoo, he mm. did use the words the dignity of a job. Yes. And yet, where's the dignity of standing around uh, yes. and not being be a real to job. take a toilet break? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I have to say I agree with the idea mm. that it's better to give people a job than to just give them money. And to people sit want up. jobs. They want them, yes. Mm. But at the same time, it has to be a job that supports their, you know, standard of living, reasonable mm. standard of living, and treats them with dignity. Mm. Mm. So anyway, the budget's come out. Uh, you guys got any thoughts on on, on it? Did I've deliberately avoided the media because it's just so biased, isn't it? <laughs> the coverage. Is. They've written their scripts, you know, yeah. days before the budget even comes out. It, so let's be I was, fair. I was, I was waiting till this podcast to get Scott's view on it. But, yes, uh, but let's be fair. He's and cr- and our, our media is far from perfect. But if we were sitting in a stu- in the, um, the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast studio in Beijing... Would be would we be as well served by the media there? I very much doubt it. Mm. So you know, despite its flaws, we still have a um, relatively free. Um, yeah. Saying it's better than China is no. Well, do you <laughs> know? Bar, I have right? arguments yes. with people. I have arguments <laughs> with people about indeed. how great China is. What a mm. meritocracy China is. Mm. Yeah. Oh, come on. Well, I don't want to live there. Mm. Thank you. Neither do I. So, in a nutshell, as, as a, you know, my theory on this for the budget is it's just tinkering at the edges with different bits and pieces. And you know, uh, he's claimed that the budget is back in the black, but it's not. So, for the current financial year, you mean he's lying? Yes, the government is actually spending more than it's collecting. So, he's just forecast that next financial year the government will collect more than it spends. But in the Current one, we're not in the black. We're still in the red. So mm. that's a forecast that he's talking about. And, what about the tax cuts? And 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 then you've got, then you've got. So that's just dealing with a year by year situation. So according to Frydenberg, next year the government will collect more than it spends, but we've still got a mountain of public debt, somewhere around twenty two percent of GDP, and. That's been growing uh, for the last six years under conservative governments. So uh, it it peaked um, before Howard got elected. Then there was a mining boom, which meant it was all paid off. Then there was a global financial crisis. So Rudd and Swan rightly spent a lot of money. Mm. So it, it, it ballooned again. and um, And basically... Frydenberg is is forecasting a a curing of that um, of that debt more or less along the same lines as what happened during the the amazing commodity boom and nobody else sees an amazing commodity boom on the horizon so his forecasts are just BS so mm. so you know the, 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 if I hear a coalition member 
talk about strong leadership and this use of the word strong, <laughs> I'm just going to throw up. Just, <laughs> well, like, you do, better carry a vomit I, bag. I, I, I better. You're going to need <laughs> it. That's what they talk about, a strong and stable government and strong leadership now, strong handling of the economy. And ultimately, governments in Australia have very little their influence on economic matters is actually really low. And, you know, a commodity boom or bust it just sends any projected budget into uh, uncharted territory because um, that has a huge effect on the receipts that our government receives. And, you know, world affairs have another huge effect. So unless you're talking big structural issues like when Keating made big structural issues, you know, changes in the economy... That can make a difference, but this tinkering of a few hundred million here for this and a few hundred million there for that, or you know, reducing this by a couple of percent here or there, it's just it's just tinkering at the edges. So. And people have often made the point that during that resources boom under the Howard government, they just pissed mm. the surplus up against a wall. Yeah, yeah. I mean Australia is a wealthy nation, but we should be Way more wealthy. And and we with, should be way better built, you know, in terms of our built environment, should be a lot better. Yeah. yeah. They should be putting that We're just satisfied with being sort of average, aren't we? With infrastructure this, yeah. and useful things like education. Yeah. We we are definitely the lucky country and, um, you know, no doubt we're doing well financially compared to the rest of the world, but we, we could should be doing, be doing a better. lot better. Yeah. We don't collect... The unrealised gains is just... We don't collect nearly enough from our resources in no. resource rent um, tax. So when it mm. comes to natural gas, here's a quote from an article from an Oxford University expert who says Australia would be $90 billion better off if it adopted European-style resource tax policies. Mm. He says Australia is on track to eclipse Qatar as the largest exporter of gas by 2020, but Australia is expected to earn $600 million in 2018. This is the same amount of revenue the government earns in beer tax every year. <laughs> and Qatar, who we're going to overtake, earns $26.6 billion in, in resource tax. So, so $26.6 billion compared yes, to, to our $600 million. $600 million. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and in another part here it says that uh, Another guy, a former industry consultant, found Australia had an effective tax ratio of 21% on gas resources, falling below the 35% or more taken by the North Sea nations of Denmark, the Netherlands, Norway and Germany. So not only do we not charge enough company tax on these, on these companies, we don't charge enough resource tax mm. as well. There's some big ticket items that could have been in the budget. But the rest is just tinkering at the edges. Yeah. yeah. Dear listener, you know, this podcast nearly did not happen this week. I was, you know, I've had a big week with my knee operation, but we've got a few uh, new patrons on board. Week Watcher, good on you, mate, for coming on board as a new patron. And Caitlin, one of our existing um, patrons, upgraded from $1 to $2. Good Double. on you, Caitlin. That is always an option, dear listener, if you if you want to support the podcast. And also, we had a new patron, as a mate of mine, Tony Anderson, and I always refer to him as as Mister Anderson. And I actually managed to um, corral him, and 
he admitted that he's been listening to the podcast for at least 20 episodes and that he's, you know, he's really looking forward to each episode as it comes out. And so I had a bit of a, uh, a really heart-to-heart talk with him and, uh, and I'll just play a little bit of our discussion right now, okay? This, this is what can happen to you if you're not careful. As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> it seems that you've been living two lives. <laughs> one of these lives has a future, and one of them does not. That sounds like some strong leadership. <laughs> I'm going to be as forthcoming as I can be, Mr. Anderson. You're here because we need your help. My colleagues believe that I'm wasting my time with you, but I believe you wish to do the right thing. We're willing to wipe the slate clean, give you a fresh start. All that we're asking in return is your cooperation in... A simple donation of $1 per episode. (laughs) Wow, that sounds like a really good deal. Are you listening, Jeff Bezos? How about I give you the finger and you give me my free podcast? (laughs) Mr. Anderson. (laughs) You disappoint me. You can't scare me with this Gestapo crap. I know my rights. I want my free podcast. And tell me, Mr. Anderson, what good is a podcast if you're unable to hear? got pretty ugly after that needless to say he's 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 signed up <laughs> as a patron good. now i enjoyed that he's come across good on you mr anderson you joined the list of patrons well done if you're out there and you're in the same position as mr anderson where you've been enjoying the podcast you know listen to 20 of them <laughs> time to stump up so thank you to all the patrons um i I think, guys, that's probably... Are you going to uh, run through the list? Yeah, uh, I don't have them on me. So, we um, met Jimmy Spud. Uh, we did, you? yeah, Monday, Monday night. night. Jimmy came along to the talk. Did he? I didn't know Jimmy Spud Lovely was in... bloke. I didn't know he lived in Brisbane. Yeah, he came to our drink oh, session uh, uh, last year, remember? That's right, yeah. Okay, oh, good. Yep. So yeah, It was good to see Jimmy. Yeah. Um, next time I'll run through the list. Thank you, uh, dear patrons. You know who you are. Do you guys want to add anything else? Was there anything else you want to add to the list? Say. Hopefully Scott will be better by next week. Yeah, get better, Scott. mm, Good luck, Scott. And, uh, well, until then, bye for now. Bye, listener. Bye, listener. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing 
something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said and when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.